Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 258th episode of the podcast. Today's subject matter is going to start out a little bit grim and grisly, but that's really only to paint the picture of a topic that is really worth talking about. And even if you know and you really understand this concept, it's worth reviewing for these next 15 or 20 minutes. I remember the first time that I encountered a situation like this. I was probably 17 or 18, and I had just started going fishing on my own. I just got in my own car, and I was driving into the woods more and more to explore. Usually, when I fish this particular stream, it was in, in the back country, as back country as you can get on the East Coast, I would only hike up to a small dam that uh, held back a little reservoir. But lately, I had been thinking, I'm sure there's something above this reservoir. And so I'd been doing some research on how to access it, how to get up there. And I decided on a really bright, sunshiny day that I was going to make the trek um, up to where the trail ends at the base of this uh, dam under this reservoir and skirt the edge of the lake until I came to the small tributary that I was able to trace with my finger on my big DeLorme atlas that I carried with me. So I did that, and it took a little bit of time to bushwhack and get up into the headwaters of this lake, what was actually the headwaters of this river that I fished very, very frequently, and I found a small stream. It was a small stream that was exactly what I was looking for. It was uh, tight, and it was brushy, but it was also clean and cold and had pools and pockets and it had brook trout. It had native brook trout and it also had a couple of brown trout I was able to get into. And as I walked up this stream and just was enjoying the fishing, was enjoying the solitude, was enjoying the adventure and the exploration and this new facet of this place that I had been countless times before, I came onto a little shoal which it was just a kind of a bend in the river that had a gravel bar that uh, extended out into the water by about 15 or 20 feet. And that's when something caught my eye. There was something shiny in the bushes. 
And so I turned my head thinking this is probably just garbage. And uh, it, it was garbage. It was a balloon, a mylar balloon that had popped and had gotten tangled up in some, some branches. But I, my eye followed the balloon and the, the little ribbon that held it uh, to, the, to the branches down to the ground. And that's where I saw what was basically, the best way I can describe it, was a shrine. It was a little circle of rocks, and I walked over to it, and inside of it was little knickknacks, little mementos, little tchotchkes, just all sorts of little stuff. But inside of it was a, in the dead center, there was a little weathered picture frame. And that picture frame uh, was the kind of thing that you would get if someone knows you're into fly fishing and doesn't know what to get you. And so it was a little picture frame with uh, little drawn flies and uh, lures and creels and fish all over the outside of it. And the inside of it, it said simply in faded letters uh, on a piece of uh, plain paper, uh, we love you and miss you. So, I mean, it wasn't creepy because it was very, very sweet. Um but I was had this in the back of my mind, and so I fished for a little bit more, and just kind of couldn't shake it, and and uh, went went back after fishing for a little bit longer, and back to my car. And this was quite a while ago, and so the internet wasn't as uh, easy to navigate as it is now. But eventually, I did come across records of a man who died on that stream. Now, given his age and given the where it was, it probably wasn't something. It was probably wasn't an accident. I just, that's me assuming. It probably was a heart attack, probably was a stroke, something like that, based upon the man's age in the reports. That's the best of my assumptions. The reports all these years ago were, were very vague, and again, there wasn't a ton of detail. And to me, that was enough. But what that reminded me of, or that kind of got me thinking about, was how at, at that age, fishing was a liberating activity. Fishing was a safe activity. Fishing was not the kind of things that a lot of my friends were doing or things that I even did that weren't as safe, things involving vehicles and, and things involving mischief. Fishing was the safe activity, but even in fishing, even on a small mountain stream, there was inherent danger and inherent risk. Now again, fly fishing is not motorcycle racing. Fly fishing is not free soloing large rock cliffs. Fly fishing is not big game hunting. Uh, fly fishing is not diving. It, it's not that same sort of danger. But interestingly enough, if you look at how people die outside and specifically how people die in national parks, the number one cause of death is drowning. The number one cause of death is drowning. So, of course, that includes people who are simply uh, near water by circumstance, people who are swimming, people who are water skiing, people who are scuba diving, people who are boating. But there's a very good chance if you're fishing, you're going to be around water. And so drowning is the largest reason why people die in national parks. And in fact, uh, numbers that from the, the previous decade show that uh, it is the largest by a significant margin. Um, the next one is motor vehicle crashes. And then really close down in the list is falls or slips. I don't know about you, but I fall and I slip when I fish. And so here, here's what we're going to talk about today. I know I've already talked for about uh, about five minutes, but we're going to talk a little bit about ways that you can be better prepared. Now, this might be the basics, but let me tell you, knowing the basics is not a bad thing to start with if you're just starting in fly fishing, and it's not ba a bad thing to be reminded of if you've been fly fishing for a long time. For example, let me just say this right off the bat. You're not as young as you used to be. 
Okay, I, I, I don't know how old you are, but I can say with great confidence and great surety that you're not as young as you used to be. And, and why do I say that? I don't say that to be trite. I don't say that to be funny. I don't say that to be demeaning. I say that because it's true for me. I know I can't do what I used to do. At 40, I can't do what I did when I was 20. Um, at 40, I can't do what I was, did at 35. Actually, I probably can do. I'm, I think I'm in better shape now than I was in 35. But what does that mean? That means that everybody has to be cognizant every year they go fishing, that they are going to probably be more limited in some way, shape, or form than they were last season. That means you can't necessarily wade that deep. That means you can't necessarily jump from this rock to that rock. That means you can't climb in that sheer rock face like you used to do. That means you can't spend that amount of time outside without getting tired. That means you can't exert yourself without potentially getting yourself in a, a situation where you're exhausted. And so that's the, that's the first thing. It's a very basic, simple thing, something that no one likes to hear, something that I don't even like to necessarily think about myself. But it's important to be honest with ourselves. It's important to take those precautions. It's important to be aware of our limitations and lean into those and fish into those and not ignore them and get yourself into a bad situation. Because the last thing that you want to do is certainly is to die, but you also don't want to compromise yourself in a situation where you get scared, somebody that you love gets scared for you, or even like the authorities have to get called in. And now there's this awful aura around fly fishing and you are limited in how you can do it. Now, you might be young. You might be listening to this at 18 or 25 or something like that and think this is the stupidest thing in the world. But the fact of the matter is it's coming and it's just worth being aware of. And it's worth being cognizant of as you talk to people, as you talk to people that you fish with, whether it be a parent or a grandparent or a friend, and just being aware of these things. And so that would be the second thing. The first thing is know your limitations. The second thing is know, know somebody. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to say don't ever go fishing alone. I go fishing alone a lot but I pick and choose where I go, how in the back country I am. And of course, these days with cell phones and with watches that have GPS and with all the other things that we have uh, at our disposal, then going a little bit further away alone is a little bit safer. But one fall and you hit your head, it's not going to be the same, you know, you're not gonna be able to use that phone. Now, to be fair, if you're fishing within 100 yards of somebody and you fall and you hit your head and you're fishing and they're going fishing for five or 10 or 15 minutes, then it doesn't matter if you are a mile away from them or just the pool up from them. If they don't know, if they don't see you, then you're going to be in big trouble. Now, this is an important concept that I think is worth mentioning. A lot of this stuff is not about eliminating risk because like I said off the bat, you can get hurt in your house. You can't eliminate risk, but you can mitigate risk. Having somebody know where you are is better than no one knowing where you are. It's not going to mean that if somebody knows where you are that you're get out of death free card, but it is definitely helpful. That's something that, to be honest, I have not been as good about as I should have. I usually just kind of bank on the fact that I've got my phone in my pack, I've got my phone in my pocket. Uh, they'll be able to find me. But you know what? Those those minutes can be precious. Those hours can be essential in an emergency if, if something bad happens. So just sending someone your coordinates. I have gotten into the habit, well, actually my wife's gotten in the habit of asking me to send me my coordinates when I put in and as I go about the day. It's not something I think of right off the bat because when I started fishing, when I started hiking, when I started spending time outdoors, it wasn't even a thing. I mean, inevitably, my mother would have wanted me to do it when I went out fishing on my own as a teenager, but I didn't have a cell phone. Most people didn't have cell phones. And if they did, they didn't have Google Maps access. 
So that's the second thing is let somebody know where you are. If that means fishing with a buddy or if that means just dropping a breadcrumb or just letting somebody know, then that is so incredibly important. It is so vital to do. Uh, so, so first thing, know your limitations. Second thing, let somebody know. And, uh, you know, you can tie those things together. You can tether them together and say, you might not be able to go fishing by yourself. And that's okay. You'll, you'll get all those benefits of fishing with a friend and you'll be able to fish with peace of mind. You won't have in the back of your head, this is dangerous, this is dangerous. My wife hates that I'm doing this. My kids hate that I'm doing this. To be able to go fishing with somebody, you get the benefits of fishing with somebody and you get the benefits of fishing. It just happens to be with somebody. The third thing is water. Uh, you need to read water. So this is very much a fly fishing related issue. Being able to read water is one of the best ways to remain safe while you are fishing. Of course, reading water helps you figure out where fish are going to be. And so what do I mean by reading water? This is one of those you know things that we say in fly fishing, but we don't often define. Reading water means understanding what is happening in that water, well, understanding the flow, understanding the depth, understanding not just the direction of the current, but which way the current is moving, understanding the bottom of the, the river, and understanding what is in that water. In doing so, you're able to determine the most likely places that food is going and the most likely places that fish are going to be and where those two things intersect. So consequently, you can put your fly in the right place so that eventually it will flow downstream and put itself in the position where that fish is going to eat it. That's how you read water. It's just understanding where fish are and where fish are going to eat. But those exact same skills are going to help you as you navigate the water on foot or in boat, as you wade, as you swim, as you do whatever else you're going to do. Now, this summer, we had just an unprecedented amount of rain up in New England. I mean, everything was always wet. We're still seeing the effects of it. Everywhere that I hunted last year in the early season, uh, where I was able to go set up blinds, is now under like a foot of water. And so we just had so much rain. And there's certainly benefits to that. But it was also incredibly dangerous to the, the point where... Unfortunately, we were having stories of people drowning in local rivers like every week. And some of them were just, tra not to say that some aren't tragic, but some were entire families where multiple people were getting swept downstream and multiple people were dying. Some of these incidents happened in rivers that I have fished time and time again. And so we have a couple things happening. One, if you know, this is a place where I go a lot. This is a place where I am all the time. This is where pe a lot of people are. We get this false sense of security. But you have an issue like this where the water is raised. And w when you have these mountain rivers, when you have these plunge pools, when you have these waterfalls, what happens is it just seems like it's a little bit different. But a little bit of water makes a significant difference. I mean, this is one of these truisms of wading, right? Where you can very easily walk across a river that's ankle deep. You can very, very easily walk across a river that is shin deep. But you add like six or eight inches and it gets up to your knees. And although that is doesn't seem like a lot of water, the volume of those cubic feet moving downstream at speed, usually at accelerated speed, is going to have an outsized impact on you and on your body as you're trying to get across that river. So this is the kind of thing where reading water is really important. So does that mean that anybody and everybody that goes tubing, everybody that goes on a, a hike by a waterfall, anybody that does sightseeing needs to be able to read water with the expertise of a seasoned fly fisher? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that 
as a fly fisher, you need to employ those same skills when you put yourself into a situation where you're simply crossing a stream, where you're getting into position to make a better cast, where don't only think about where that fly needs to go to get to those fish. Think about where you're going to be and if this is a good decision or not. Um, it, it, it's a simple thing to do, and it sounds it sounds so common sense, but it's worth understanding. Now, there's some other things that you can do to be safer in the water too. So just to review, uh, firstly, know your limitations. Secondly, let other people know where you are. Third, know the water. And fourth, know what to use. So know what to use. What do you use? Well, I think one of the best things you can use outside of using your head, but I've kind of covered that already. The best things that you can use is a good pair of wading boots a good pair of wading boots. And what components in a pair of wading boots ought you look for? Well, price probably shouldn't be the first thing that you look for. Of course, you are going to be relatively constrained by your budget. But the things that you need to be paying attention to that are worth maybe another 20 or $50 are one, the kind of ankle support that they're going to give you. Why does ankle support matter? Ankle support matter and actually footbed support matters because as the course of the day goes on and those minutes and miles add up on your feet, you're going to be less responsive the more time you put on the river, the more miles that you put in. And so you're going to have less reaction time, you're going or, or more reaction time, I guess, and it'll slow it out. Uh, and you're also not going to be able to have the strength over the, the course of the day if you don't have a lot of ankle support. So you're going to be more prone to falling even when you're out of the water, when you're hiking back to the car. And, and that's just not worth it. Okay. So ankle support and foot support. So the, the rigidity of the boot in the right place. And then secondly, the whatever that sole is, uh, you're going to want to use something with a bulky, aggressive stud. This is going to keep you upright. But of course, that has its downsides too. If you've ever used a bulky stud on a very flat rock, it's kind of like ice skates, right? Um, where felt might do really, really good in that situation and not so good in other situations. You just need to be aware that there's always going to be trade-offs with whatever sole material you use. But generally speaking, a sticky rubber sole with some sort of studs attached to it or studs, studs you know, coming out of it is going to be your, your best sole in the most diverse set of circumstances. So wading boots are incredibly important. They I add them to my list of things. The three things I always say are, are necessary to have. Good wading boots, uh, good sunglasses, and good fly line. Flyline is not going to keep you safe, but sunglasses are. And why is that? Sunglasses with polarization allow you to cut through the glare and see where you are stepping. Okay. See where you are stepping. Now, another aspect of safety that we haven't touched on is eye safety. Now, this sounds so much like, you know, uh, uh, this the speech that you get before you get a new job or the speech that you get before you go to shop class for the, the semester for school. But honestly, Wearing a pair of sunglasses and actually wearing a, a hat with a brim on it is going to protect your face and especially your eyes from your bad cast. And if you don't think you're a bad caster, then how about from your friend's bad cast, okay? But you have that big clouds around there and the wind gust picks up or you kind of drop that back cast and all of a sudden your cast starts to fall apart and you get whacked by it. I've done that and I'm so thankful. There's a couple times where it's hit the frame of my glasses, um, never my lens also thankfully, but uh, you get that little bit of protection if you have that wide brim hat or that baseball cap and those sunglasses. But the sunglasses with the polarization are also going to allow you to cut through the glare, see the water. So going back to reading the water, you'll be able to do that more effectively and efficiently if you have on a pair of polarized sunglasses. So good boots, 
good glasses and hat uh, also. And then don't be afraid to employ a waiting staff. Don't be afraid to employ a waiting staff. No matter how old you are, I see plenty of guides who are young like me, uh, asterisk, um, that use waiting staffs. Why is that? It's because you you don't want to spend a ton of time kind of shuffling your way across the river if you can use that waiting staff to get a little bit more support and get across safer and faster. And both of those things will happen. Does that mean if you all of a sudden have a nice pair of waiting boots and a waiting staff that you're able to, able to wade any river regardless of how many uh, cubic feet are flying past you? No. But in those situations when you can wade, but it's dicey, that will definitely help you. And situations where it's just a kind of a slower go, this will help you get through it safer and faster and more confident. And especially if you run into mobility issues, either from age or from an injury or from whatever you encounter, having this at your disposal is very, very helpful. Now, some people think, I don't want this big thing hanging off of my side. You you know, think about a ski pole. It weighs absolutely nothing or a trekking pole. It weighs nothing. And you can have it so that it clips to your belt. And uh, if you really want to get cute and fancy, they have the ones that are collapsible and kind of fold into like a little pouch. Then you can, you know, pull it out like a quick draw and then impress all your buddies at the boat launch. So that is the, the other big thing that I would say. Now, the last one, and this one is something that I don't think is necessarily a silly or bad thing. And we sold a lot of them years ago when I worked at a fly shop. Uh, and that is uh, inflatable life jackets or, or like a, a emergency PFD. Uh, and this is something that you can wear. Uh, they have some vests that integrate them or it can go around your waist. And uh, if the little trigger gets wet or if you hit it, then it will pop out, pop, pop out and puff up and it will keep you uh, afloat a little bit. Now, again, is that going to necessarily save you? Is it going to be as good as a nice uh, quality PFD that you'd buy to go on a boat or go on a kayak? No, but it can give you peace of mind or your loved one's peace of mind if you're going to go out in the water. Now, there's certainly more that I could say, but those are the four things I think are worth mentioning. Um, today, I was I was out for a run, and I was running uh, in a relatively remote place, and I looked down into a little ravine, and I saw a, a little creek with, um, with just a little gravel shoal, and that got me thinking about what I led this episode with. And how, you know, now with four kids, with, with everything I have going on, it's just not worth getting into situations where I am compromising my safety and consequently the lives of my loved ones. So hopefully this is helpful. Hopefully it's not too morbid. But those four things, know your limitations. Secondly, uh, have someone else know where you're going to go. Thirdly, know how to read water for fishing, but also for your safety. And lastly, know what to use. Did I leave off something significant? There's a good chance in 20 minutes I did. Let me know what it is, and I'll certainly tack it on to one of these coming episodes. Matthew at castingacross.com. It's always good to hear from you. This week on the website, the first article is called Calendar Ready, the Fly Fishing Show 2024. So every year around this time, uh, the Fly Fishing Show, the the tour that goes across the U.S., uh, puts out their dates and and actually they put them out early in the summer. But around this time of year, I like to just remind people to put it in your calendar. If I don't put it in my calendar now, I will book up that weekend with something else. So calendar ready, the Fly Fishing Show. It has those list of dates, a quick promotional video, as well as a link to uh, their their website. Now, too, I'm sure once you go to that page on castingacross.com, you'll see links to a lot of articles I've done in the previous years about what I've done at fly fishing shows and what is worth seeing and doing and spending your time and money on at fly fishing shows. Wednesday's article is called Casting Across Answers Google. Casting Across Answers Google. So I'll probably talk about this more in the future because I think this is worth like a whole episode talking about some of these aspects of this topic. But I'm always fascinated by all of the things that you can glean about what you think you know about fly fishing 
from from the internet like how many different answers there are or how, what other people think about fly fishing that runs completely perpendicular to what you think or what people are asking about fly fishing and that's what i did in this article there's four questions that pop up when you google fly fishing right you just google that four questions pop up for me i did it like three or four times the same four questions uh, what is the point of fly fishing is fly fishing the hardest fishing it's kind of a dumb way to answer that question ask that question is fly fishing for beginners and why is fly fishing so difficult and so what I do is I gave my shot at answering those questions. So I'd be interested in what you have to think about my answers and what your answers might be. So you can let me know over at Matthew at castingacross.com. This week's recommendation, appropriately enough for this podcast episode, is a pair of wading boots. Uh, Reddington, who is known for kind of their, their really cool uh, aesthetic, but also really quality level uh, entry priced fly fishing gear um, makes a series of wading boots and waders and I have some that are part of my rotation and I love them I fish with the benchmark boots they are their entry level boots so I have a number of pair of wading boots when I just want to be on the river for a few hours uh, or I'm going to be moving a lot but I do want a full fledged wading boot I go with the Reddington benchmark boot but in light of today I'm recommending their Prowler Pro boots the Prowler Pro boots now, why the uh, the Prowler Pro? Well, I really love the cut of the Reddington boots. They feel the most like a uh, performance shoe of any wading boot that I've used. Now, I'm not talking about wading shoes or or you know like I use kayaking shoes for a lot of my wet wading. But when it comes to a full fledged wading boot, the cut and the fit of the Prowler Pro boot is a great way to get the support you need, the support of footbed, support of ankle, and uh, the, the toe protection that will keep you safe on the water. So if you're interested in those boots, uh, you can check out the link on this podcast show notes over at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and then rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things like going to the pursuit of fish. Mm -hmm.